In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. It works. <laughs> it's a blessing to be here, especially at this wonderful time um, during which we prepare for the feast of our Holy Virgin Mother, the Blessed St. Mary. And during this visit, I've been going through characteristics that we can hold on to. Um, we've, we've had modesty and humility so far. Tonight, I want to address you on something that touches us all and that we should all be striving towards. And that is holiness and sanctification. As particular things we, we strive for and we live. I so often get questions, as the Sayyidna and the fathers, when we do any of these, you know, you get questions at the end on little pieces of paper or now on, you know, messages. And, and I can guarantee you, after every one of these meetings, one of the questions is going to be, how do I know the will of God in my life? Because we're all asking that question. Who doesn't want to know the will of God? Whether you're seven or 77, whether you're a lay person, whether you're a priest or a bishop, whether you're someone in the church or outside the church, we want to know what the will of God is because we, we want to be able to try to strive towards it. And you rack your brain and you think about it and we go through lots of answers about continuity and a process and a journey and you try to explain it. And then I came across a verse some years ago, which just did all of that for me. It was very simple. So from this point on, no one should ever ask what the will of God is anymore, because I'm gonna give you a verse that answers it categorically and authoritatively, and it should be there in the back of your mind. The epistle to the Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. It can't be any more clear for this is the will of God, right? Can't get more clear than that. So we're on a cliffhanger here, right? We're waiting for the answer. This is the will of God. There's a comma. So you pause, and you pause more for dramatic effect. And then you prolong it, but you don't want to milk it too much. So what is the will of God? Very simple, two words. Your sanctification. That's all God wants of us. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy. That's all he wants. See, God needs nothing from us. God requires nothing. He is God. He is everything. He has everything. He is the source of everything. So why does he want my sanctification? Why does he want your sanctification? Because it is that sanctification that does two things. The first is that it allows me to live according to the image and likeness that he has created in me here and now during this lifetime. It allows me to live up to my identity. The image and the likeness that could only come from him and is his. 
How can I be the image of God if I am not sanctified and holy? How can I be his likeness if I am not sanctified and holy? Now, of course, none of us is going to reach perfection. But we strive for perfection. We, we reach our own level of perfection. We're told that, that we're required to give 30, 60, or 100-fold based on our ability. We only give of the gifts that we have received. You know, when you look at the parable of, of, the, of the stewards, and the master goes away and gives them different numbers of talents, he doesn't say, I want you to create something out of nothing. He gives them talents, and he gives them different numbers. Is it because he knows that's their ability? Is it because he knows that's their limit? Is it just because he wants to see what each and every one can do? But they're different numbers of talents. And each one comes back having worked with the talent that he has and presents it. When God wants us to be holy and sanctified, it is because he gives us the talents, the tools for this holiness and sanctification. He doesn't expect us to pluck it out of the air. He doesn't expect us to create. Um, I remember one really important lesson I learned at the monastery. I learned a lot of them. And having served along with Sayyidina um, at the feet of our departed father, His Holiness Pope Shenouda III, um, I learned lots of things. And one, one lesson in particular I learned is um, we were speaking about um, a particular miracle that was being um, performed. And I think Sayyidina will remember we had someone who came to the monastery, a man, who, um, who oil would come from his hands. And you know, you can be cynical, uh, but we actually saw this. You'd wipe the oil away and it, it would come back. Wipe it away and it would come back. And um, I remember being with His Holiness and saying, so Sayyidina, could, could this be from the devil? And he said, probably not, because the devil can do lots of things, but he cannot create. Satan does not have the power of creation. Satan can take what already exists and manipulate it and change it and use it against us, but he cannot create. And so whatever we have, is from God. And so he gives us, as the creator, because only he can give us good things. Satan takes, distorts, pollutes, corrupts, and then gives it back to us. But only God can give us good things. And so when we receive those good things, we are then able to work with them. So when we are trying to strive for sanctification, we are only required to work with what God gives us and produce a result. So that's the first thing. Why does God want our sanctification? Because it is in that that we fulfill the image and likeness and live according to what he wants us to live on, on this earth. 
But then what's even more important is, so what? What does that do? Firstly, it allows me to be the image and likeness of God and therefore his light in the world. That's a very important thing. Secondly, it allows me to be prepared for and enter into the kingdom he has prepared for us since the beginning. We're told very clearly, do not fear little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give us the kingdom. And so why does he want our sanctification? Because without it, we can't enter the kingdom. We can't, without it, we can't be with him forever. And so even him wanting us to be sanctified and live sanctified is so that we can be with him. He gives us all the answers, but he requires us to be with him and go to him. So Thessalonians 4.3, if you want the answer to life and sanctification, it is that. For this is the will of God. What is it? Can't hear you. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. So, first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 1, verse 15. But he also called you, he who also called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So our sanctification allows us to live in this world and be faithful stewards, allows us to enter into his kingdom, but also enables us to be as Christ-like as possible, to be as godly as possible, and to live that way. What other role model could we have? Who else would be greater? Um, you know, we all aspire to things. The only problem at the moment is um, we, we have a, a culture that aspires to celebrity. And that's, that's what does it for us, celebrity. Whether you want to be a great sports person or a great entertainer or someone who is just very wealthy, um, that's all it is. We aspire to celebrity. What we must aspire to is holiness. It's not wrong to be famous. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be popular. What is wrong is that the driving agents behind those should be this celebrity, worldly, consumerist identity and not godliness. You know, if you look at someone like Joseph, he was popular, um, he was intelligent, he was very successful, but he was godly. It didn't always make him popular towards the latter part of his life or the middle part of his life, but then because he continued to be faithful, his light continued to shine. So be holy, for he is holy. Be sanctified, for he is sanctified.
You know, when, when, when we hear of what God wanted of Solomon's temple, he wanted it to be sacred. And we'll read um, together second book of Chronicles, chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, which says, Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers made in this place. And it's so apt that we're here. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Again, here we are. That my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So this is what God wanted of the temple. But we're also reminded that we are temples. And so if God... <coughs> If God wanted this of a physical place, how could this not apply to us as individuals? So if we read it in that context, if we read it as applying to us individually, let's read it with that heart. Let's read it, and as you listen to me, apply it to yourselves. Apply it to yourself as God's desire for your life. For my eyes will be opened and my ears will be attentive to prayers made in this place, the prayers of the heart that reside within us. He goes on. For now I have chosen and sanctified this place. Now, you have both been chosen and sanctified. As Orthodox Christians, as Coptic Orthodox Christians, sacramentally, we believe that we have been sanctified. We have become temples of God and the Holy Spirit abides in us after we are washed in baptism and then we are sanctified and we are made members of his body in chrismation. The Holy Meirun. So you are chosen and sanctified. That my name be there forever. So is the name of God in our hearts and our lives forever? That would mean that everything I do, every word I say, every action, every decision, needs to be held up to that test. Now, please understand we are not always going to get it right. We are often going to get it wrong. We are going to make mistakes. But it doesn't matter. As long as I'm trying, as long as I am constantly endeavoring to be that sanctified temple of God. Even if we get it wrong, and that's why, again, the sacraments of repentance and confession and then the Eucharist come into play because it allows me to turn away from those things and turn back to him and then the last part of that passage and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually and that is such a comfort so if we do this, the eyes of God and the heart of God are in us and on us perpetually, all the time.
all the time. From now until we join him in his kingdom and beyond. Now, as humans, then as those before his holy throne. But that is the, that is the promise that is made to us. All right, that all sounded really nice and fluffy, okay? Now here's the challenging bit. It's not always easy, as I'm sure you've all tried, and sometimes succeeded and often failed, and you get up and you brush yourself off and you try again. That's what we need to do, because it's not a simple journey, but it is not impossible. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there are going to be times when we are in darkness, but we are going to be called into his marvelous light. Isn't I mean, no one uses the word marvelous anymore. You know, it, it's just such a beautiful, quaint word. But it is so meaningful. It is something that one marvels at. Something that it mesmerizes. It is that light that is there for us. And that we are called into. And that we can attain and we can reach. But he calls us to it as well, out of darkness. So don't expect to always be in that light, because there will be times of absolute darkness. There will be times when you feel the whole world is completely against you. When you feel that every time you turn a corner, there is a more difficult situation. Every time you try to come into holiness and sanctification, you fall deeper into sin. Every time you try to live more faithfully, you are dragged down by temptation. But don't give up. Continue to have your eyes searching and your ears listening because he will call us out of that darkness. All we need to do then is respond and go to him. And it all comes down to choice. You know, our whole life comes down to choice. Um, I, I see a, a, a beautiful passage that I, I, I like to, to, to focus on in the book of Deuteronomy, um, chapter 30, verse 19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So sanctification and holiness is a matter of choice. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall on us. We work towards it. We aspire to it. Then we take steps. So our heart yearns for it. Our mind processes it. And then our hands 
work to make it happen. And that is what we need to do. That's what we need to achieve. Because if we don't, we'll always live not knowing. If we don't understand, then how is it that we can make that choice if we don't know the depth of meaning? But God says very clearly, I have set before you these things. I have set before you all the things that you need to know. Life and death, blessing and cursing. And then, you know, it's like he gives us an exam, and if it wasn't clear enough, he then gives us the answer. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And just in case you're too slow, just in case you don't think about it, just in case you're not using all the intelligence I give you, just in case you're not as perceptive as I made you, just in case there's any doubt, choose life. Right? Just in case, just in case you don't know, just in case you really want certainty and clarity, choose life. So not only do we have the choice, but we have the answer. And the answer is actually in the word itself. Choose life. As Christians, we are about life. There was um, a little bit of a conversation in the past couple of years. When we saw the, the Libya martyrs and we saw people in Egypt who lost their lives just you know, for going on pilgrimages to monasteries and, and to different things. Um, and people say, well, but you know, you copts. Do you just go towards death? Do you want to die? Of course not. We are about life. We celebrate life. But we celebrate life here as his image and likeness, the temple that I have that, I'm, that is entrusted to me. But the greater life we aspire to is the life that is to come, the life eternal. And if it means that I give one up to receive the other, then so be it. Christians are not about death. We do not want to die. But if there's a choice, then I will choose life. Because denying my faith is not life. It is death. And so in actual fact, even in the face of that threat, I'm not choosing death. I'm choosing life. And I'm choosing that sanctification. Because when we look at the witness of so many, whether it be the Libya martyrs as a, an incredible extreme that shook the whole world, but, but even small things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis in choosing our faith and prioritizing our faith, it becomes an inspiration. So that sanctification is not just for me, it is for the world. People see you, each and every one of you. You know, they just need to come here. I wish I could take pictures from where I'm standing, right? Beautiful, vibrant, 
godly faces, listening to God's word, consuming it with their eyes, giving of their time. If we were able to take this picture and say to people, you know what? This is what it is to be a Christian young person, a Coptic Christian young person, an Australian Coptic Christian young person. This is what it is. That, that's light. You individually, as one of those tiles in the mosaic outside, or collectively as the whole picture. But then just as the tiles out, the, the mosaic outside, it is made up of many segments. It's made up of individual tiles, and then it's made up of segments that make up the whole story. So yes, you are tiles making up a segment here, but there are millions of segments like this all over the world. And each and every one of them reflects the light of Christ. So your sanctification actually matters. It actually matters. Your sanctification is important. It is that light that we don't place under a bushel, but that we put on the lampstand that it give light to the whole house. This light deserves to be on a lampstand. This story deserves to be on a lampstand. Your lives should be on a lampstand. Not because you want glorification, not because you want reputation, not because you want honor, but because you shine the light of Christ. And that light is both transformational and transformative for us and for those who see it. It transforms our lives because that light comes in and expels darkness, pushes out. I like that verse about light expelling darkness, you know, it makes it active. Imagine if all these lights are out and suddenly you have lights coming on. The darkness just disappears, it dissipates. And that's what your light is. But it also transforms the world. Because small flashes of lights here and there create for light overall. St. Macarius of Egypt says, What is the will of God that St. Paul urges us and invites each of us to attain? It is total cleansing from sin, freedom from shameful possessions, and the acquisition of the highest virtue. So I'll go through those things again. Total cleansing from sin, freedom from shameful possessions, acquisition of the highest virtue. So let's go through them. The first, total cleansing of sin. It is a revision of the heart, a searching of the heart. To purge our hearts of, of sin. Because you know what? That's what our Lord said to the scribes and the Pharisees. Cleanse the inside of the cup first. And once you've done the inside of the cup, then you can focus on the outside. So purity 
of the heart, cleansing of the heart. Secondly, freedom from shameful possessions. It doesn't just say possessions, it's shameful possessions. So what brings us shame? It's sin. Letting go. So once I've cleansed the inside, I must be careful not to return what I've purged. So cleansing the things that might bring us back or the things that may come back. Cleansing the inside of the cup and then the outside to make sure that there's nothing near it that can defile it again. And then the final is the acquisition of the highest virtue. So to put away things that bring back shame, but then to aspire, to acquire the highest virtue, which is the love of God that resides in us. Because we've cleansed the cup, we've secured its perimeter, and now we fill it. We fill it with what is godly, and what is sanctified, and what is sanctifying for us all. He goes on to say, it is the purification and sanctification of the heart that comes about through fully experienced and conscious participation in the perfect and divine spirit. Okay, go through it again. It is the purification and sanctification of the heart. We understand that bit. We've spoken about it. That comes about, here it is, through fully experienced and conscious participation. It's intentional. It is conscious. So we experience it and we're aware of it. We participate in it. And what do, I particip what do we participate in? The perfect and divine spirit. The spirit that already resides in us and calls us to holiness and to sanctification. I want to um, close with a passage from St. Cyril of Alexandria, who says this, Those who are good and sober-minded, who keep their hearts free of the evils that are in the world, okay, so you need to be good and sober-minded. Again, it's intentional to remain sober. And, of course, the first thing you think about is alcoholic intoxication. But that's not the only intoxicating thing in the world. Passion is intoxicating. Greed is intoxicating. Materialism is intoxicating. Commercialism is intoxicating. All of these things. And what happens when you're intoxicated? Your vision is blurred. Your judgment is blurred. Your life is blurred. So we need to let go of that. We need to be sober-minded and we need to be good. He goes on to say, who keep their heart free of the evils that are in the world. So you, become, you stay sober and then being sober, you free your heart from the evils. We said the cleansing of the heart before. What's the result? They willingly open themselves to the Holy Spirit because it is he who sanctifies. So by doing these things, 
we open ourselves to that sanctification. Without these things, it doesn't work. Without these things, we can't be sanctified. He goes on. Having received him, keep him. Having so far as humbly, humanly possible, behold him spiritually, thereby winning the wonderful reward worthy of emulation. So once we've received him, we keep him, because then we can emulate. He goes on to say, for he will sanctify and prove them to be accomplishers of good things. And that is the sanctification. The Holy Spirit in us sanctifies us and enables us to realize what it is we want. We try, we often try to do this alone. But alone doesn't work. Because our Lord says to us, in the world you have tribulation, and we're not always able to overcome the world. In actual fact, the world often overcomes us. You think, hang on, that's not the Christian message. Of course it is. That is very much the Christian message. Because alone, the world will overcome us. Because our Lord then went on to say, I, He, have overcome the world. So unless we are with Him, we cannot overcome. We'll be overtaken. We'll be defeated. Those who are good and sober-minded, who keep their hearts free of evil that are in the world, willingly open themselves to the Holy Spirit. For He will sanctify them and prove them to be accomplishers of every good thing. And glory be to God forever.